0: Welcome to Trauma and Pop Culture, a monthly podcast where we seek to make knowledge about trauma accessible to the everyday person through analyzing books, movies, TV shows, and other elements of popular culture through a trauma lens. I'm Katherine Spearing and I'm a trauma recovery coach. I also have a master's degree in religion and cultures and work with survivors of trauma on a regular basis. A word about popular culture. This could be material from modern times, like a Taylor Swift song, or it could be something really old that has retained its relevance over time. Like Shakespeare. On most of the episodes on trauma and pop culture, I'll be bringing other mental health professionals into the conversation, but occasionally it'll just be me. While we will be sharing general information about trauma, we are not diagnosing anyone, which is one of the reasons we'll likely stick to fiction most of the time. Please be advised that every discussion assumes everyone has listened to or read or watched said popular item. Expect spoilers around every corner. Occasionally we'll record these episodes while drinking or eating. So you'll often hear us discuss our food and beverage choices. Just wanted to give you a heads up. If you have questions about trauma or a show or movie or anything you think would be great to analyze, send it to traumaandpopculture at gmail.com. As I mentioned, I am a trauma recovery coach who also works with clients one-on-one. If you're interested in working with me, you can visit my website, katherinespearing.com coaching for more information and use the contact form to reach out. While you're on my website, you can sign up for my monthly mailing list, where I'll send out more tidbits about trauma, what popular culture stories I have found helpful on my own trauma recovery journey, plus a few other things you might enjoy. While the tone of this podcast is mostly lighthearted and fun, we will be discussing trauma, there might be some elements that are activating, especially if you're a trauma survivor. So move slow, take care of yourself. If you find yourself overwhelmed, you can always take a break and come back later. In this episode, I'll be with therapist Catherine Queering as we discuss trauma in the Apple TV series Shrinking.
1: How is your emotional help? I know what's coming. You know, try not to dwell. Whenever I need it, I put on one of my favorite sad songs and Just let myself grieve for 15 straight minutes. Once my alarm beeps, I shake it off and get the fuck on with my life. Everything's putting me in a shitty mood. Even a plant being thrown away. It wasn't even my mom's favorite plant or anything. I just pictured her watering it. Grief's a crafty little fucker. Sneaks up on you. I have something you could try. Takes about 15 minutes.
0: Catherine is also making an appearance on my other podcast, Uncertain which is a podcast that specifically focuses on abuse that happens in the church. Check it out. I wanted to chat today about grief, <laughs> the trauma of grief or the trauma that yeah. occurs in grief, but I also want to get some stuff out of the way at the very beginning. I did a, I did a little Instagram, like ask people for questions yeah. and Asti Wilkie said, it's hilarious and so unethical
1: <laughs> and it's so true so
0: yep. we're gonna, we're going to get that one out of the way at the beginning mm-hmm. i googled what i was specifically looking for was an answer to why they chose two white men mm-hmm. as the forerunners of the show mm-hmm. in a profession that is dominated by women mm-hmm. and find anything but that came up a lot I'm saying, like, this
1: yeah
0: is so, this is so unethical this is so unethical <laughs> and first of all do you have any thoughts about the unethicalness <laughs> in this show
1: well so I thought it was really interesting because I mean one you wouldn't give ultimatums to your clients like that but so like that piece right <laughs> you have to leave your husband or I'm not seeing you
0: any, any right, right right
1: yeah, yeah. Right. I think you could express that if you were like, I just can't serve you in this place anymore. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I'm so in a place that I can't support you here. Right. Right. (laughs) You can say that. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But not like emotional manipulation. The interesting like interventions that he does with the clients. I, I had like multiple reactions to that because I understand everybody saying, yes, it's unethical. Also, I worked in a residential facility for my first job. And so we were doing all sorts of like activities with the kids for their therapy that was kind of out of the box, but it was still ethical. So like, I think there are times and places for that in a way that's ethical, that has consent. But like in that kind of setting, I would say, I would encourage you to consider doing this, right? And have them do it on their own and then report back if it's something they want to try out. (laughs) (laughs) Right, it would be like, I am taking you into my life. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, (laughs) right. Exactly. For me, what felt like, honestly, a little bit more settings, not the right word, but like unsettling was just the normal TV drama thing of like all of the adults that were not clients had such dual relationships with each other. And, like, that was so messy. And I understand why they do it, because then you keep the cast of characters pretty small. But, like, right. that was a problem for me. Right,
0: right. <laughs> the multiple yeah. sexual relationships. And- yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that one. I've heard that one as well. And and even just, like, the idea of just a comparison between Jimmy, played by Jason Segel, Paul, played by Harrison Ford, the difference in their approaches and Paul was very, very Mm -hmm. boundaried and very by the book. We never, I don't think we ever saw him with a client. No, we we didn't. Mm -mm. We never saw him with a client. But I imagine, and I'm just saying this as a trauma survivor and abuse survivor, his approach probably wouldn't have been helpful for me because Mm -hmm. self-disclosure, tactful, art artistic Mm self-disclosure is helpful (laughs) for a survivor of abuse and so while he was you know following everything by the book and never stepping outside of the line that rigidity probably would have been challenging for me right so it's quote-unquote right
1: so oh. it also felt like to me, he was, and I'm curious if other people have a reaction to like what modality and what framework he was coming from. Cause I was guessing it was from like Carl Rogers, mm-hmm. which is very hands-off. It's just, mm-hmm. I am here to be a supportive sounding board for you. And it actually isn't active enough for the change that most people need, especially trauma survivors. Right.
0: And then Jimmy's, and then they, the crux of comedy, the core of comedy is true. Mm-hmm. And while it was very dramatic and hyperbolic as it would be in a show and in a comedy that the inclination for Jimmy to want to do something, you know, just like want mm-hmm. to help, want to right. do something right. else that what I'm doing <clears throat> isn't working, I need to try right. something right. else, which, and they did name it as like right. passion fatigue. And like, I'm just yeah. so right. frustrated that we're right. doing these same things. Over and over and over again. And I right. related
1: a lot. With right. That. That and was- I like the idea of like his little boop thing, right. Of like, yes. just start changing the pattern a little bit. And then more things are going to become clear <laughs> kind of thing. Right. Yeah. See what happens.
0: See yep. what happens. See what Yep. just Try this out. Yep. Try this out.
1: And there are like, I could look it up real quick. Cause I'm blanking on the name, but there are, and I'm thinking specifically in like family systems type modalities where there is so much active on the part of the therapist and so much like paradox mm-hmm. of like let's try the thing that didn't work for you right and like take it to its end degree or things like that that are really like like on the line in some ways mm-hmm. right like very very active on the part of the therapist
0: and things like neuroeffective touch and somatic experiencing involves the practitioner right. touching their yeah. body, right? Uh, but in a you know, boundaryed and full of consent relationship. So, so right. breaking these barriers wasn't the unethical part. It was <laughs> it was probably the extremity of yes the, of, right. of the barriers.
1: Or I was thinking, even if like Jimmy had been like, "This is the only way to get through to this client," right? With Sean and been like, "I really want to do this." Would this be okay with you, right? And yes. if we do this kind of intervention together, I'm going to need you pass you on to someone else as your therapist.
0: Yes, right. Are you out? Because okay.
1: like that that part where Paul comes in later is like, no, talk to him. I was like, that's not. No, Paul should be the person. Yep. Right. He should be the one of the the trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy just got him out of the the stuck. Right. Yes. And empowered his body because that is something that talk therapy and especially. Person centered therapy does not do right, and we're there's so much more information now about somatic therapy and needing to do that bottom up and like reactivate your system. Yes,
0: absolutely, absolutely, especially when Sean moved into his house, Mm -hmm. refer him out,
1: right? Exactly, right?
0: Even though it was really funny when they drive to his office together, yes, in the office, and and Sean is like, Why do we have to come all the way to your office? and he was like, Because my notebook is here, yep. Back to the idea of just top of the episode, getting this out of the way, two white men in profession yeah. that is dominated right. by women. How did you feel about that? Specific? I actually
1: had less reaction to that than that they were having this interchange while Gabby was on the floor as a like black woman and she was just kind of staying out of it. Like that hit me really hard. It felt like very racist, but then you get to know their like positions there later. And like, she didn't take it that way, but like that kind of hit me. I guess it's one of those things that I'm just, you're used to seeing like, even most of the people who, what's the word I'm looking for? Like have these new modalities or they're the head of a different type of organization. They're all men, right? So like our majority men, right? And the women are the ones that are like, in the trenches doing the work mm-hmm. and so that felt like like I okay this is normal even
0: if it's not like <laughs> it's normal even if it's not, not the cool. best. yeah one of the one of the potential positive spins on that was for me was Maybe they are attending, which I was looking, I was like trying to find some article where like maybe Jason Siegel was interviewed and, uh, or something, because he directed it, I think where they're trying to make mental health, normalize mental health for men too.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: and make a, the profession normalized for men to right. be a part of, and then also right. normalize attending a therapy as a male. And they did have, right. had a lot of clients. Mm-hmm. Out right. men and 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 normalizing attending therapy. However, someone else posted on Instagram, Kayleen K-O-N-C-Z, I don't know how to say that. Will will this show encourage anyone to go to therapy or the opposite? Mm-hmm. Shrinking emoji. <laughs> like
1: so that- I guess what I take out of the, the, the like hyperbole this- that they have <laughs> and the like maybe like extent to the, that they go, that's unethical. It's like your therapists really care about you as people. Yes. Right. And they're trying to navigate that. Like, I definitely feel that right. Of like, I, I care about you so much. And how do I express that in a way that keeps the boundaries?
0: Absolutely.
1: Right. That it's not just, you're paying me and I'm going to tell you all these great things about yourself, but like I really value you. <laughs> yes,
0: um, so that, they captured that really well—the mm-hmm. the humanity of both the therapist and the client—and right. right. that—that just the tension of that relationship right. is like I right. don't want to see you in this thing in this right. you know abusive relationship that is hurting right. you. I don't want to see you beating people up so mm-hmm. that you end up in jail. Like I right. want to to, to help you moving on to the grief thing. There was, I I would say, I mean, the story overarching is, is about grief and how that Mm -hmm. shows up. And there's so many different types of grief. I want to play a clip. (laughs) And this is, this is about Jimmy's, Jimmy's grief. And so Jimmy has lost his wife. And when Paul talks about numbing, like his numbing versus. Mm -hmm. Debbie wants me to go to her divorce party tonight. So I don't want to. It feels fake.
1: I can assure you, Gabby is getting a divorce.
0: It's pissing me off. She's totally in denial. She's acting like she's super psyched about it, and I know what you're going to say.
1: No, oh, you yeah. I'm triggered because Gabby is choosing to end a marriage, and I didn't get to make that choice. Okay.
0: You did know.
1: Come on, kiddo. You don't get to dictate how other people grieve. So Gabby puts on a brave face and gives a shit. Me, I got to kick and scream for a while before I face the truth. But then I face it like a hero. But you, who knows how you grieve? You haven't even begun. What are you talking about? I've been grieving for a fucking year. you've been numbing. Drugs, booze, women. I told you that I stopped all that. Yeah, but you replaced it with being overly involved in your patients' lives. I'm not sure that I can show up tonight with a smile on my face. It's not about you. It's about her. Are you going? I
0: wasn't invited. Thank God. Let's talk about the difference between grieving versus numbing. And is numbing a form of grief?
1: So, <laughs> I would say yes, numbing is a form of grief, right? It's like yes. the denial stage. Absolutely. I'm <laughs> like, I'm in denial this is happening and I just have to cope with all of the big feelings. hmm Yeah. But I totally get what Paul is saying, Harrison Ford, that it's, the grief doesn't the, the the part of grief that's gonna like help you work work through the grief has not started yet, right?
0: Yes, yeah. And in like the the cycle of grief, the anger, denial, bargaining, acceptance, mm-hmm. depression, those cycles they're not linear, and they come and go. But to get stuck in that one cycle, so maybe numbing is when you, you're you stuck in one phase. Right. So you're stuck in that and I phase. would
1: say maybe like the, sh- the shock and denial and depression maybe all together for him at that beginning stage, right? For sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. When would numbing be unhealthy or unhelpful?
1: I think it's mostly evaluating the repercussions of it, right? So like for him in the show, it was that he lost his daughter, basically, in some sense, right, instead of being able to grieve together and be present and support her, he was so checked out that he also had then had to repair that. And she was alone in her grief. Mm-hmm. So that was the negative repercussion for him on top of like, honestly, if we talk about, you know, what's unethical, I think he should have taken a break from working the way he was showing up at work you know
0: absolutely
1: <laughs> and i don't know why nobody said that right like you shouldn't be here go home I, i'll take yeah. the clients cancel them you know right. when he's like has his head under the faucet or whatever
0: <laughs> you know? so yeah i guess numbing could be unholy when it becomes self-destructive either right. destructive or or starts to to break down relationships with other people
1: I mean, or like if it turns into an addiction right if you're numbing with substances which is really normal. If you have a biological like predisposition to that, right. And then that continues. And then you have to like recover from that and then face the grief, right. Then right. that just adds to the suffering and the longevity of it.
0: Yeah. And it's numbing itself is so normal, as you said, mm-hmm. just, it's right. just, just, a normal part of it. And that's, it's not a, a, a moment for shame. And, and we may even recognize it. I know that I will recognize it when I'm just like, yep, I'm numbing. Yep. 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 That's what's happening right now. Right. Get to this later, I will get to this later, but right now, I right. don't right. want to feel these things right now. And so that is a very normal, normal human proclivity. And then it's also, it is part of that, that grief cycle.
1: Right. Um, Cause I mean, there's times when like, all you can do is put your foot in front of the other like maybe get out of bed and get to work, right? And you're just kind of like a zombie. It's just, I'm just existing right now. There isn't even the capacity to be able to make meaning out of it or like go through these other stages of grief, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There there are a bunch of different types of grief that are addressed in the show. And I wrote down a few of them. And so let me know if you, if any more came up, if you saw any other ones that maybe I missed. Grief of divorce. Sudden loss, death of a loved one, prolonged terminal illness with, with Parkinson's loss of self after PTSD or grief. I think both Sean Mm -hmm. and Alice kind of experienced that where they both said it was hard for them to remember times when things were happy because it reminded Mm -hmm. them of how bad things are now. And then for Alice being guilty, feeling guilty that she felt happy Mm -hmm. after the death of her mom. And then change in circumstances with Liz and Derek, I think is, was his husband's name when he is retiring and coming back home (laughs) and she's having to deal with this change of, of him always being around Yeah. and then loss of time and opportunity. And that was, that was kind of Paul's story of realizing that he had given so much to his work that he lost his relationship with his daughter and Mm -hmm. and grieving that he wasn't ever going to get that time back. So those were some of the the griefs that I saw. Any other ones that maybe we missed?
1: There were, I think some other ones with Jimmy, there was also that like the grief and the question around, did my wife actually love me and want to be with me? That really compounded his grief, right? That we find out later. Gabby's grief over her divorce. And like, did I also then when her ex is doing better, like, what does that mean? Right. And she finally was like, No, it's not about me. That was about him. Right. And I'm not gonna, that's not a good place for me to be again. Yeah, it seemed like there was there was like so many layers of grief in so many different, like arenas, right. And even like different layers of grief or questions that added to the grief. Yes, right. So, like Alice not having her dad there, or Jimmy's like a question about his wife or or you know, like Liz is interesting, too, of like because of her way of not letting people in and having to be strong, that was compounding her grief, right? Until she yes. was willing to let people in and be like, oh, I actually can have like other relationships in other life, but it has to be me being a little bit less controlling, a little bit more willing to be like
0: mm-hmm.
1: involved, right mm-hmm.
0: yeah. And then Tia. The loss of Tia, Jimmy's wife, that was a loss of a partner for Jimmy, a mother for Alice, a best friend for Gabby. Liz Liz goes through the grief for the empty nest grief of Mm -hmm. all of the kids are gone. And how she's dealing with that grief of, of talking, taking in Alice and like basically becoming Alice's parent so that she can fill that hole for herself. How are these griefs? how are these griefs different? And then how might they also be similar?
1: Well, it seems like they all have, you know, some of those different components of the stages of grief, right? And I think any sort of grief, and I would add on, there's probably layers of trauma in some of the grief, right? That that can feel different and there's both the the external i'm used to seeing this person in my life right or relationships being this way or something happening this way and that's gone and so i have to deal with what that looks like right now in my life and also then what are the internal beliefs yeah right that might be holding me back and making this even harder so like paying attention to that and then where is the grief stored in my body right what are the thoughts that go along with that like there's so many layers right is it therapist, Mm -hmm. therapist show there. So like, these are things that could be addressed. And I think that was really different in each scenario, right? Like sometimes it was like, I'm just coping with the different circumstances. And sometimes there were a lot of like internal shifts and beliefs that needed to change to be able to be present in the new way life was. Yeah. And the idea
0: that like, there is an underlying thread of grief and I would say you know grief as trauma, that underlying thread of trauma that is is a a point of reference for anyone even if you know my grief is divorce and your grief is loss of spouse mm-hmm. there is a common thread there even if the circumstances are different. And I think Jimmy found that common thread with Sean who was dealing with PTSD from being a veteran and mm-hmm. And his own grief of loss losing his wife. And right. he I feel like he made that connection right. for both both of them, like not they're very different circumstances, but that thread and that loss, that powerlessness that right. can show up for grief for trauma. There was that that common thread there. And I think I think that was one of the things that the show did really well is yes. that common thread between all of these convoluted relationships. (laughs) Yeah. The grief thread was, was the connecting point. Anything more to say on that? And then I want to wrap up with talking about just grief as trauma.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess I want to say, I think it's interesting and I like how they showed that grief shows up in so many different ways, right? That it's not just the depression looking part, like me being sad. It's, and lethargic. It's also the reckless behavior to numb. It's the the anger. It's you know the rage. It's like so many different. Oh, and you divorce to it. right, <laughs> right. Celebrated um, the the getting over involved in client's lives and being like, I need you to feel good so I can feel good, right? Which is so much emotional pressure, yeah, on that person, right? And that's unethical, right? Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Tiptoeing in the manipulation yes. category.
0: But yeah, that's, that, and then that clip from Paul saying, you don't get to decide how somebody else grieves. Mm-hmm. And that I feel like was really helpful with the show of showing all the different ways that people are going to br- grieve and the way that might yeah. show up for someone. And ultimately, I think led to just some compassion and some understanding of humanity, which I'm like, hey. Well done. So let's talk about grief. Just it is a it's a trauma podcast, and we're talking about it a little bit. But just like like how grief is trauma, or how grief can show up as trauma, and just the yeah the overlap there.
1: Yeah. So one of the defining features of trauma is less what's happened to you and more how it enters your body. So anything that is hard just takes some time to process through it, right? But you're your mind, your emotions, your body are gonna help you process it. With trauma, it hits you as too much too fast. And so your body kind of freezes that and it doesn't process it. It kind of holds it in stasis until there's a way to process it, which is why there's a lot of avoidance, right? Because there's no like helpful processing through it when it comes up. And so I'd say that is the difference between trauma and grief. In the, the DSM, which is the list of all the, the diagnoses that are agreed upon for therapists right now, that there's a difference between bereavement and complicated bereavement. So that is like their attempt to say there's this normal process of grief. And then when that gets hijacked or maybe it's more traumatic or, you know, like there's so many layers to it that it feels like it's getting stuck, then that's what they call it. One of the things that I appreciated when I was in training for EMDR, which is a trauma modality, is that they would say basically, when there is trauma with grief, the EMDR will like address the trauma, and then there's more space to grieve, but it will not fully take away the like, need to go through the process of grieving. So they're always like, it'll take the knife out. But then like, you do need to heal and go through that. So for example, if like with Jimmy's, it sounded like part of the suddenness of Tia's death, was traumatic and that he didn't know if she loved him, right? So those were like yes. some of the trauma pieces of that. And then there's a the normal grief of losing your wife. Right, Right. so I think that's kind of an example.
0: Right, and, and the the suddenness of Tia's death too could also be traumatic mm-hmm. and not right. just grief. Whereas like the prolonged illness of like right. someone, Paul is the example here, we're aware it's happening. We're aware it's coming. Mm-hmm. We're able to sort of grieve slowly right. along right. with right. that changing yeah. circumstance. Yeah. Sudden car accident in itself could right. be traumatic, right. and and have that intermingled with the loss, and and then the the idea that like sometimes we for survival, we can't get to that grief yet. And Mm -hmm. we can't get to that. And just like from like a more prolonged situation of, of like, I mean, maybe even Sean's experience of having this, you know, PTSD situation, right? There is trauma there. And then to have to deal with that, but then also to deal with this loss of, you know, I'm a different person now. And Mm -hmm. and I'm never going to be able to go back to that person that I was before the trauma happened. And that can show up as well. And getting to safety for both trauma and grief are really really important. And just like, even just like a single parent, right. He didn't really, he didn't really show up for his daughter. Right deny his own grief he just kind of spiraled but I know for a lot of single parents even single parents whether they lost the partner through divorce or Mm -hmm. or death they have to go into this like I need to get the job and I need to get the house I need to take care of the kids and the kids have therapy I need to do all of these you know very survival very practical things and then it hits them later like.
1: Right, because they didn't have enough space to grieve that for themselves. There, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And it, and then it feels like it comes out of nowhere. <laughs> right, but no, it was just hanging out. It was right. just waiting until you had yeah.
1: the space, and then absolutely. Like, oh, now I am here, well, and this wasn't in the show, but it was making me think of you know, like when a parent has Alzheimer's or something, right, or dementia, where you are slowly grieving the loss of them and their personality while they're still alive. And then when they die, that grief can look and feel really different, right? Because you've already been doing all this grieving. And I've seen a lot of people be like, should I feel more upset, right? Like I, that kind of, you know, similar thing that Alice had of like, I have to prove that I'm upset to maintain this connection, right? Or like prove that I loved my loved one or something and be like, it's okay. Like whatever emotions are coming up in your body, that is to help you process. It doesn't actually mean anything about how much you love this person.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and even just like surprise surprise grief, because my grandfather died maybe like five years ago. I was not close to him at all. Did but when he died, I felt grief, which was so surprising to me because I was like, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't close with him. Like what yeah. what is the but it was just loss. It was yeah. just the reality of loss that this significant human being that was, whether I was close with him or not, had right. always been in my life. Right. Yeah. And now they're not right. So whether you felt something for that person or not, there's complex emotions.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Right. Any, any other thoughts before we wrap up?
1: Well, I was going to bring up a form of grief that they didn't mention in there, but was coming up for me and this thinking about how grief can hit you so differently. So this is very personal, but I, so I moved back to, hometown from living in Chicago for many, many years. And the grief of that was actually harder than the grief of my miscarriages. So like, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so just being able to normalize, like, grief may show up for you and feel really different for you. And that's okay, right? You don't have to should yourself into anything. But I think that's kind of a like, example of like, you would expect that the miscarriages would be so much harder to get over, right? But I didn't let myself get excited because I knew I had a history of miscarriages, right? So like, I wasn't as invested. There wasn't as much time and relationship there as there was like my whole adult life was wrapped up in Chicago. So like I lost a part of myself in some sense, right? So just being able to hold that, like whatever way the grief is coming through, like that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I can just support myself through that.
0: Right. Yeah. And more grief of more mainstream things that society would see as like an acceptable reason to grieve. Mm -hmm. It it makes those things that are not, are less talked about and less known or let, or maybe a less common experience of this move, like this major transition from someplace that you, you loved and you had memories. And I know when I moved from my hardest transition, I moved five, six times in eight years. My hardest transition was moving from DC to Los Angeles. And when I was moving from DC to LA, one of my friends who had come over to like help me pack and stuff like that, she said she had moved a couple of times too. And she was like something someone said to me that was really helpful. Moving is as traumatic as losing a loved one. And I It was such a relief to hear that. It was just like, oh, so like all of this complexity of emotion, confusion, anger, um, sadness mixed with, oh, I'm excited. I'm going to this new city and I'm going to be at this new job. Like all of that put together, it just kind of allowed me to just be like, let's just ride this train. So life transition in general. And I think they dabbled in it in the show a little a life transition. Yeah. And so I don't know if they will do a season two or if they will address life transition, major life transition as a form of grief, or if they'll even stick with grief, they might move on to something, to something right. in the next season. Who knows? Well, cool. Thanks for bringing that. Yeah. up. That
1: you- yeah, you're welcome. I, I have one more thing, if you don't go mind before we wrap up. Yeah. So it. I, I wanted to go back to Sean and his PTSD. So I really loved how they took some time to unpack that and show that like the the rage was a fight trauma response right and that it wasn't him being an angry black man trope it wasn't that he's wanting to do this right and taking his anger from the battlefield out on someone else right Mm -hmm. Um, that his body was stuck in fight mode and Mm -hmm. how does he feel safe enough to like calm that down and let that go a little bit right mm-hmm. um and it
0: also showed that in the in the fight response wasn't a great time to address it right it going to be addressed when he wasn't in fight mode right you have to have that outlet outside of the activation and just you know stop 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 isn't going to work We're in that heightened space. I
1: I mean, I think they talked about him saying he was blacked out, like he didn't know, right? Which is really common.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I'm really glad that you brought that up. And that it's not—he's not just being an angry black man. This is like literally a trauma response. A lot of violence is.
1: Yes. Right. Probably. Yeah. A lot of it. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And 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 why violence? I believe is more. I mean, I believe a believe that there are also studies that show this is more common in men because they have fewer avenues and resources to address trauma and to address grief. And, and a lot of times anger is the only acceptable form
1: of stoicism and anger, right? Which is not going to get you very far. Yeah. Except in jail, apparently.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so that, that meaning that reality, that that is why men are like, <laughs> men aren't born more violent. Like, like there's a, there's a condition socialization, that,
1: right. Mm-hmm. That
0: that makes right. that, makes right. it that way. I'm really, really glad that you brought that up. That was really, really great. Great zinger at the end. So-
1: great. <laughs>